Hello, and welcome to the Lost Hour Podcast. This is your weekly podcast, or bi-weekly now, uh, for all sorts of discussion about various forms of entertainment, but uh, we usually tend to discuss films, and uh, and whatever word you like to use, of course. Um, and joining me, as usual, is my co-host, Eric Sayor. I can't fucking believe that Brad Pitt is the hottest he's ever been at 55. It's unbelievable. <laughs> it's uh, distressing. Um, yeah, yeah. How? Uh, and I'm. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> yeah, uh, existential crisis at our age. Heesh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I am, of course, here the co-host, Arlen Haro. Uh, so yeah, if if you can't tell, that we're going to be talking about some films. Uh, that we've recently watched, uh, some some stuff that we've uh, gone to the theaters or watched in the comfort of our own homes, and, uh, and who knows what else might come up. We might just throw some curveballs at each other. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, that's uh, that's it's one of those episodes. Uh, and so, and yeah. we'll be starting with uh, Tarantino's new film that we just saw both last night, uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, a film that I wasn't expecting expecting to love as much as I did, but I got out and I was, I really liked it. And I, when I woke up this morning, I'm like, yeah, I love this film. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because I wasn't sure if I would like this one either. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was just very curious to see what it was. Uh, it's his first time working with a new studio. It's his first time doing a lot of things. Um, and it was a, uh, it was very, very interesting. Um, and I think the, the sort of the first thing that I came away with just moments after having seen it initially was, the cast is just fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, and, everyone is great. Yeah, yeah, they really they make the movie work. Um, and uh, I think that they're they kind of make or break the movie. If you have a problem with the movie, it might just be the cast um i'm sure there are other there are other things in the movie that can people can get caught up on um and i've already heard some sort of uh discussion about sort of midway through the movie stuff to do with the ranch that some people are not too happy with uh that it's a little slow <laughs> or unnecessary um but yeah yeah. Otherwise, like I'm hearing a lot of people saying they like it, and uh, uh, and I have to say, yeah, just, I, I agree. You know, um, it's a very just it's a light movie for yeah. for Tarantino. It's his <laughs> it's his super my, light one. Yeah, because yeah. I think my biggest scare was like going into a new Tarantino film at this point is like. How with the story we heard about him in the last couple of years since Hateful Eight, if I could do another Hateful Eight, a movie that's like very um, completely the opposite of this one in a way, like a very like violent and intense and kind of hateful in mm. like in like how it portrays its character and what it's portraying. Um, and this movie feels like the complete opposite, and I was just like completely charmed by it it's a movie that's like filled with love it's like a it's a beautiful movie in a way that tarantino movies don't really tend to be they tend to be like more 
cool, but there's just like there's just so much beauty in letting the the like a lot of this movie feels like a love letter to Sharon Tate and the life she didn't have, and just like how it's like it's like about Hollywood changing and Tarantino himself becoming kind of irrelevant in a certain way, and thinking about that and putting that main character in that same role, and it's, it's a very like self, uh, uh, very self-reflective in a way that his like last couple of movies haven't been. Um, like yeah. I, I really enjoyed Jang- Django and The Hateful Eight, but it's like this feels a lot more like Jackie Brown, like something that's way more about himself and how he, and way more about how he sees the world instead of how he sees movies. Yeah, it does feel more reflexive, um, and I mean, it's hard to sort of. It is we've talked about this before. It's hard to separate the real world from the movies sometimes. And I can't help but think that maybe some of the real world stuff around this movie and around his career and, uh, yeah, and the whole Weinstein of it all, I can't help but think that had something to do with it, probably. Um, it might have had a, a deep impact on just how he like looks at his work and how he thinks about the what he's putting out into the world with his films. Um, and also... Uh, I, I think Hateful Eight, and he's said as much, it was just a very angry movie. It was written in a place of anger. It was directed in a place of anger uh, and uh, so on and so forth. And that just continued. Um, and he said that that's like his, that's as close to like punk rock as any of his movies would be, where as far as just how furious he was just in the whole process of making that movie. And this movie feels much more like just the, like you said, it's the complete opposite, like a sort of a, a peace and a, a balance that uh, is present in this movie um, and a balance sort of with the world. And uh, yeah, like this is very like metaphysical, like uh, balance within his himself as a person and just like, you know, contemplating life and sort of just being okay with, where things are at least that's that's sort of how i felt coming out of the movie this sort it of feels, it feels like the, the most beautiful thing i think tarantino could ever make it's like very tarantino in a way but like very different again from his last few works but still like it still has that like love for cinema and that like love mm-hmm. for the encyclopedic knowledge of cinema that's put into the work itself but at the same time it feels so distinct of what he usually does, it feels so, uh, so, so some some scenes feel like very, um, they're just, they're not to like, maybe not not the scenes that they're, they're like, the writing is very different from like, his characters feel mm-hmm. like actual human beings instead of Tarantino characters, which I actually really love. And it just gives life to yeah. the tool, especially, um, Okay, I think it's my favorite uh, DiCaprio performance he's maybe ever done, except maybe Wolf of Wall Street. Like it's up there. Yeah, yeah it, it it might be for me as well. And it, again, I think it's the it's the pairing of those two characters. Yeah. I think that Brad Pitt and DiCaprio they just they amplify each other. Um, and there are scenes where they're not really on screen like there's a scene where they're watching their own show that they were on um and it's 
it's just like really joyful to watch like just their commentary on it and the way that they discuss it with this sort of passion for their work and that's the other thing it's it's a movie about people who seem to genuinely care about what they're doing with their lives um they're not like cynical angry people uh even though i would argue that they both of them have ample reasons that they could be cynical angry people um, but they, they aren't. They're just sort of going through life and taking the punches as they come um, and just, like, not letting it completely tear them down um, while at the same time dealing with these sort of uh, deeper uh, issues. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's very interesting, and, and that's something that I don't know if Tarantino movies do, really. They don't really have characters who... Um, are not feeling more than one emotion at a single time. And that single emotion is usually, that's usually portrayed very well and it's portrayed very accurately. But the bride is like, she is vengeance personified as a person. And it's not till like very late in the Kill Bill that you really get anything other than vengeance uh, and out of that character. And a lot of, Tarantino characters are that way. And you get more depth to these characters than I think in any other Tarantino film. They feel like very lived in. They feel like they've had their whole life and uh, are like, it's all in the small details, like the um, um, Cliff Brad Pitt's character with just interacting with his dog is just some of the best, like how, how he describes the relationship, like a, a closer than a brother, but not, almost a wife like it's yeah. perfect it's like yeah it's okay and you can feel that relationship you can feel like just how they interact with each other how he takes care of him and like uh leo's character that's just again you can feel the experience you can feel like leo put it putting a bit of himself but also like losing himself himself in that character and just giving him life in a way that i think he has like in no one that has felt as lived in as those two characters in a while in Tarantino film. Yeah. I think, I, I yeah. think again, again, since maybe Jackie Brown, which is like a movie, uh, so way more driven by the characters, uh, rather than their emotions. Um, sure. uh, which I, I think I, I this made me want to revisit that because it's like, I feel like it's the closest, a comparison I can make to another Tarantino film. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I would agree with that, and it, it, I think you're right. It does a lot of very similar things in terms of how you see into a character's head um, and just sort of what they're thinking by their actions. Um, that's that's one of the best things about Jackie Brown is you get a sense of what a character like Robert De Niro's character is going to do long before he ever does it. Um, uh, and it's all in his performance. Um, yeah. And I think there's a similar thing with Brad Pitt. Um, you know, when he's up on that roof and he has that flashback, you get lost in the flashback. Um, but you still like, you get a lot of what that flashback shows you just from the face that he's making. Um, and then the flashback sort of just like pulls all that information out and really gives you sort of the concrete stuff um in case you couldn't read it well enough from brad pitt's face um 
Yeah. Uh, on, on another you, note, this movie's not as self-indulgent. That's another thing that I really noticed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it, it feels like it's kind of a Balkan. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think seeing that it was like three hours long made me think it would be, but it's not at all. Like it's yeah. scenes go on in the same way that they tend to do in a Tarantino film, but it never feels like forced. It's always mm -hmm. with purpose, and it's always, I think, very good. Like there, even the scene at the ranch you mentioned that goes on and on. It's just like so good. I think, I think it, mm -hmm. it just builds on itself, and I, I, I never felt like it was going on too long. I just, I, I, I think it's almost just me wanting to watch like that character be himself and go through like with all his like uh, swagger and energy and just like i i, I think it, mm. he nails it like and again you said not not never really like that self-indulgent yeah and it's interesting because the last movie i would say that wasn't like super self-indulgent was inglorious bastards um and uh and i think they they're very similar movies in they serve similar purposes at the end. Um, there's actually a, re there's a, a direct reference to Inglorious Bastards because there's a director on a poster whose name is uh, Antonio Margheriti, um, which is uh, interesting and confirms a lot of Tarantino-verse theories, um, yeah. I, I think. Uh, so, yeah. Um, I think I had another point there. Uh, the Spawn, Spawn Ranch. I, th I thought the Spawn Ranch stuff was really good. Um, and I think it was necessary because I know a lot about the Manson story. I know quite a bit about the Manson story. Uh, I, I've revisited that story many times. I've, and it's, it's, you know, it's not one of my favorite true crime. I hate, I don't know. That's a good word to use. Um, it's not a true crime story that I'm particularly interested in, but I know it fairly well. Not everybody does. Not everybody I, actually knows Charlie Manson all that well. Um, so I, I think the ranch was kind of required. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I knew little enough that I had no reference for the ranch. For me, the ranch meant, meant nothing. Like when they went there, mm -hmm. I, I didn't even think about that until those characters showed up at the end. And I was with, I actually went with my parents to see this movie, and I, I think they knew even less than me about the whole thing. So I told my mother that. I explained the ending to my mother, I'll say, to not have any spoilers. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the, the ranch was definitely, definitely important because it gives you, yeah. it gives you a sense of what that place was and what the situation with Manson is just enough because um, they don't go into details about what actually happened. Um, it's really hard not to spoil this yeah. one. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah. Um, but they do a good job, I think, of setting things up and making it, you know, sort of clear that this is not a place where normal people are or people that are necessarily, um, I guess, safe to be around just based off of their actions and the way that they react to things and the way that they talk about, uh, Charlie. It's all very, I think it's all very well handled. Um, and even though I don't think any of those characters are necessarily given a lot of time to like really become individuals outside of uh, Margaret 
Wally Quayley, something like that. Um, who I, I think does a lot with very little. Um, you do just get a sense of the way that these characters are living. Um, and I think Dakota Fanning, again, she does very little or does a lot with very little. Um, uh, also, it's nice to see Dakota Fanning in a movie because I feel like she's not in things anymore. Um, maybe that's just me, though. Uh, wasn't she in? Uh, am I maybe I'm mixing up? Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> I, I also, mixing. yeah, her sister doesn't make things easy, her sister makes it harder. Yeah, um, so yeah, yeah. um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, um, yeah, I feel like there's some criticism uh, that we maybe won't get in about how like the movies, the movie portrays the girls, but uh, in the Manson family, especially, I think I've read some interesting criticism about it. And I, I don't feel like we should get into it. One thing I really yeah. want to mention is... Uh, my favorite scene in the movie that we haven't talked about at all because we haven't really talked about um um what's her name uh sharon tate um mm-hmm. uh, margot's robbie sharon tate that's like uh incredible and that's the scene in the middle of the movie where she goes to see her own movie in the theater and that scene is just incredible i feel like it's just yeah when she sees herself it's so beautiful it's like it's all the little things she does and smile she has on her face and uh that's when you get her first appearance of uh, (laughs) tarantino mandated feet on screen yeah (laughs) yep yeah oh god that's right i i mean i didn't that didn't even click with me but yeah she does it and then margaret qualley does it and yeah. yeah Yeah, yeah like, um, it's too big <laughs> zoom on feet. So, <laughs> so you I mean, yeah, uh, he's not hiding it. You know, he. What are you gonna do? Do you lean into it or do you? <laughs> uh, and uh, he obviously leaned into it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that whole scene is good. I love the music in that scene. The music in general in this movie, by the way. Fantastic. Even though a lot of it was in the trailers, it still worked. Every time it the music popped up, it was like, yeah, this is great. This is, and I think it makes the movie move. Um, and I understand some people who might think it's long, but I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but I've sort of just like trained myself to expect Tarantino movies to be long. And, you know, that's where the criticism that, you know, hateful eight is a little bit self-indulgent comes from. Cause it's like, this is long even for you. <laughs> this is long even for Tarantino. Um, so, and this seemed very reasonable to me because, it, again, I think it moved very fast. There were maybe one or two moments where I was like, well, do we need this shot of L.A.? And then I was like, well, yeah, because he clearly loves L.A. He clearly loves the city of L.A. And he's showing it very lovingly um, in a way that I don't think a lot of directors – have done. I, I think that you get movies like this all the time for New York that just like love to show you all the buildings and every line and every, you know, every street and alleyway. Um, but you don't really get that for LA very often. Um, Cause not a lot of people love LA and you can feel uh, a, a sense of love for the city uh, from Tarantino. 
that and I haven't seen of, in any other movies. Yeah, and a lot of those New York movies are shot in like Montreal or Toronto. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. They shoot like they shoot like for one day in New York, and then the rest of it is somewhere else. So yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. The last couple of movies that feel felt as much LA, I feel to me that I watched was like maybe Destroyer, the Nicole Kidman film. That's like about spots in LA that you don't really get in movies and um, Tangerine, the Sean Baker film. I don't know if you watched either of those movies, but those are like very LA films that feel that feel so much about like that city. And this one is like mm-hmm. definitely up there a movie that's that loves those classic spots and keeps thinking about them and keeps like like the culture and the city feel like they're part of the film. They're a character in the film and they're well developed mm-hmm. throughout. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, maybe last weird thing I think I, I'd like to mention is Bruce Lee in this movie. Mm-hmm. That scene felt a bit weird, but also I kind of just just a bit weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm on that vibe. <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it did feel a little weird. Um, just because, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Bruce Lee was like anybody <laughs> at his days where he was maybe a little bit, you know, like that, I guess. But it just didn't, it didn't feel right to me based off of what I do know about Bruce Lee. He seemed like a much more uh, humble person <laughs> than they depict. Um, but I, I sort of think, well, this is, this is Quentin's version of Bruce. It's not really Bruce. Um but uh, yeah, it's uh, you, you it's also a get weird. like you also get a flashback with uh, Margot Robbie that's like mm-hmm. just gives gives him even more character in the few little scene he's he's in that I made me like yeah. the whole thing more. Um, and also, I, I think that's the, that's probably the thing I've read the most about since it came out is about like Bruce Lee and did he did, was he well portrayed or was he wrongly portrayed? I don't know. Um, mm. Yeah, I've read yeah, it's an it both ways. Question. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, other than yeah. that, I think it's just—I think it's the first. I, I think it's just a must-watch movie, and I think it's one of the best movies of the year. And I, I just really, really liked it, and I never thought I would as much. I definitely need to see it again so I can, like, you know, get it get it into concrete how I actually feel about it. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely up there for me at this moment because, and again, like the cast isn't is insane. Um, like I think everybody shows up at some point, um, whether it's in the fake movie or the fake TV show that they're making, which is sounds like it was, looks like a fantastic show to be honest. Like a fantastic <laughs> old show is yeah. like just like really weird and like off off in a weird direction. Um, and the cast is really great too. Um, I'm a big Timothy Oliphant fan because of a uh, justified. So it was really interesting seeing him come in. Um, so the whole thing was very, very fun to watch. Um, and I, I love that little girl too. I don't know if you saw that she, that she didn't know who uh, Leonardo DiCaprio was before this movie. <laughs> <laughs> that's great <laughs> which i love reading <laughs> yeah good uh, yeah yeah 
really good movie. Hmm. Mm. Right. Um, I don't yeah. know what else, yeah, what else yeah, to say yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah we have a lot to say about this one. We'll talk maybe. Uh, we'll talk maybe more about spoilers later this year when more people. Mm-hmm. Will have because I feel like it, yeah. it deserves some spoiler talk. Um, yeah. uh, do you want to talk about something else you've seen recently? Uh, sure. Let's see. What's um? I mean, the other one that I saw yesterday was The Art of Self-Defense, um, which is a... I'm trying to think of the genre t- term to describe it as. Um, it's a dark comedy... Um, but I don't know if it actually is a comedy. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, um, let me think. It's a movie that when it starts, or the way that it starts, you kind of think that it's Karate Kid, um, but like for adults. Um, and it kind of turns into like Taxi Driver by the end. Um, which I'm sure I'm not the first person to have said that. Uh, but that's the best way I can sum it up because it just, it takes some turns, um, but they're very well-established and satisfying turns. Um, yeah. And it never, um, it never feels like you're just watching two completely different movies. It, it does give you the sense of like a continuum and things sort of naturally progressing. Um, and then there's just, again, there's a very good cast. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg, uh, as usual, when he's not in some like giant blockbuster or something and he's actually given a good script, uh, he does a fantastic job, uh, especially when he has an interesting character. Um, and his character in this is just... He, he's, he's like a reflection of anybody who's insecure, um, or a little bit uh, unsure of themselves, um, and uh, yeah, and that, I think that's sort of the the core of the movie is sort of about uh, exiting that insecurity and like being okay with who you are, um, which is a odd message for a movie that goes some of the places that it goes. Um, so yeah, uh, as usual, I, I just I'm I do much better sort of. When people ask me questions about movies like this, because this is a very hard one to to really yeah. describe. Yeah, I'm I always kind of curious about it. It feels like I don't know, just another indie movie. Like, what's anything like mm-hmm. make it stand out for you? Like more than like an compared um, to like yeah it's, other it's, like small indie stuff with Jesse Eisenberg in it. I know. It's unpredictable. That's, I mean, that's the, that's the thing. Like you won't be able to tell me the ending of this movie based off of like the first 30 minutes, which is a problem with indie movies (laughs) in, in our current era is like the vast majority of them are just as um, uh, easy to sort of figure out what's going to happen and it's it's not that hard to like predict the entire movie within the first thirty minutes, um, because it's a lot of people who get into directing who have never worked on a movie, and they're sort of just still honing their skills, but they're still getting their movies 
sold to studios um, and put out there. And this feels like a movie where the director uh, really tried to not make something where you could just pin down what it is uh, or what or where it's going um, super easily. Um, I put, I of course put things together. Anybody can put things together um, just because of natural story flow and things like that. But I am, um, I was never distracted by it. I was willing to just go with the movie. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's sort of, that's sort of, I guess the reason is that you're not going to be able to just figure this movie out um, based off of the trailers. And I mean, maybe I, I did not see the trailers for this movie beforehand. <laughs> I just went in after hearing a lot of good stuff about it. So, yeah. Uh, cool. Interesting. I, I, I look into it when it's, when it come out on on demand because I don't I, I I think it played here only at a festival which the next movie I'm gonna talk about the movie I'm gonna talk about played also at this festival um so in Montreal there's the Fantasia festival that I don't know if you heard about uh it's like yeah. a genre movie so horror uh fantasy sci-fi uh also and also a lot of anime and you know me, I went to see <laughs> anime at Fantasia uh, Festival. Uh, I went to see a Masaki Iwasa movie. Uh, if you remember from last year, my top 10, I talked about uh, 90s short Walk On Girl, um, the movie about the girl getting drunk walking through Kyoto, um, mm-hmm. the animated film. And he, he has... He released two movies last year, and he has a new movie this year. So I don't know how he makes stuff so fast <laughs> and so well. Because also between that, there's a, a TV show that I'm gonna talk about later. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's called Rider Wave, and it's a surf movie, oh. <laughs> which which is yeah yeah it's a, a movie centered around a, a girl that lives on the side of the ocean and loves to surf and is kind of looking for meaning in her life. Like she doesn't really know what she wants to do. And she falls in love with this, with this, uh, with this guy that's uh, a fireman uh, when he saves her from a burning building and they build a relationship. And, but uh, then he, and he, she teaches him to surf and they, they have like, uh, there's a beautiful montage of a montage of them in love and just like dating and just the small things in the relationship and it's really really great uh, that portrayal and that's just the first act because then the spoilers for Ride Your Wave, uh, but I think that's like the, the the movie is more centered around the next part, which is that uh, he dies surfing her her uh, boyfriend dies surfing and it's her trying to uh, live with that with grief, her trying to um, living to live through it and also her uh, seeing his spirit around her and it's like a it's like you're not sure for a long time if it's a fantasy film or if it's just like um it comes from herself 
but it's uh, but like yeah, it, it's a fantasy film because it's a Masaki Yuasa film, and it's like she sees his spirit in water when she sings the song that they used to sing together. So she's never kind of never able to let him go and deal actually deal with the grief because he's with her in water and they can talk, but he's just like in a glass of water or in a, uh, or in a pond or something. And he's not like physically, there's like a ghost in the water and it's, and it's how she's kind of living in denial of her, of like not trying to not being able to live through her grief and also being in the denial and trying to have a life uh, to make her life go on, even though like he was her rock and he left and now he's kind of just that like water spirit. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's too, it's really good. And the resolution of how they, like er, everything after that is just like, like the first part is really good. It's a really good, like cute love story. And then it's just like an exploration of grief uh, with that character. And it's um, all, uh, all the, the animation style fits so well with this choice of a movie because Vasaki um, Wasa films tend to be very like, uh, not like what you'd see, what you'd call like more traditional anime that you, you would see if you like try to watch any random show on Crunchyroll. It's like he has this very um, particular style in his faces, but it's also like a very like wavy that feels like kind of a bit of surrealism in the movement. That's all uh, a lot of like waves, a lot of circles, a lot of like transition that's that, that's based around like uh, spirals and stuff like that, and it's. And it fits so well the the wave that I, I feel like it's the, he he had to make it a conscious choice and I, I think it's so good as just like picking the wave and as the center thematic thing, the wave and the surf and making a surf movie with that self feel it feels like an obvious choice now. And it's just like both the animation and the story, it's it's a really, really good movie. <laughs> I'm trying to think of, uh, yeah. So you you always do pick stuff that's anime that I'm always like, yeah, that actually does sound interesting, because <laughs> that one does sound very much like something I might try out. Um, just because everything about that, all the all the aspects of that, just sound very interesting to me. Um, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah I, I feel like that's. In a way, in the same way that like Miyazaki films feel like kind of different from what you get, like the tropes and a lot of the stuff you get in anime, like Masaki Yuasa stuff feels also very different, but in a completely different way. I, I would never, I don't think I can compare his style and how he portrays characters to um, to uh, <laughs> Miyazaki at all. It just feels like, it feels like a different category in my mind and it's his stuff is just like really really good and really uh adult in a way that like 
it it feels like uh, uh, this movie is very it's it's like I don't know it's n absolutely not for kids um, in how it portrays like wait like maybe kids I, I feel like there were a couple of kids at this screen actually because it was like an uh, eleven forty five a.m. screening um, but yeah they're very adult stories and very um, and. At the same time, they managed to be fun and to be like very thematically serious, and uh, all that through like his specific animation style that I really, really like. So I, I always, I, I feel like it's is a good recommendation. Uh, maybe one day I'll manage to make you watch the ping pong TV show that he directed, which is my favorite, my favorite animated animated show. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Maybe we'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Um, yeah. Well, actually, I, I'm definitely gonna try and watch one of these movies. I, I still do want to. That the night is long. The short is long. walk on girl is, yeah, yeah, is the one. Yeah. yeah, that's the one you should watch. Yeah, it's uh, it's been on like all my lists, and like every time I'm. I'm looking for movies to rent. It's one of the first ones that I go to to see if I can use discounts and things like that to rent it. Uh, but it's never usually there. Um, but uh, I have a bunch now, so maybe I should check again. Um, but yeah, it's definitely on the list. And this one sounds interesting, too. So I might I might uh, check them both out at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. Did, did you want to talk about that one a little bit more? Did, uh, did you have another... Actually, yeah, I might as well mention the other thing I watched recently. Uh, um, I watched an anime on Netflix um, that's not Evangelion because I don't know why I didn't feel like starting Evangelion. I, I went back to watch uh, Devilman Crybaby, which is an, uh, an anime that launched last year that's also directed by uh, Masaki Yuasa and that's also like really really great it's an adaptation of a manga i think and that had an animated adaptation i think 20 years ago or yeah something or had, pretty or had, yeah mm -hmm. no it yeah it's it's an, it's an old manga and it's like it has uh, something maybe not an adaptation but like something with there's this tv show called devil man or something i'm not sure that's also referenced in the show, but it's a, a show about like uh, demons uh, possess possessing uh, human beings, and it's like it's a horror show. It's like basically an invasion, and uh, they they like they give human drugs at parties, and they get possessed by. Uh, demons this way and the demons comes out of the body and they become like they're, they they look like horror creatures in this show and it's kind of disgusting and perverted and like uh it's about a, a guy that becomes a, a devil man which means like he has the attributes of the devil of a devil possessing him but he like manages to through his will to like um become one with it like keep the attributes but staying human so he can change between like his human self and his demon self and it's it started out kind of basic about like him trying to just like 
fight devils and protect humans. Uh, but it there's like a shift in the show when like uh, devils become ex exposed to the whole world to like everyone on earth sees a video of a devil killing like hundreds of people in a oh. in a stadium yeah yeah and it's like okay then it becomes a story about human turning against each other and it like a, a basically a fascistic post-apocalyptic story where also a bunch of politicians are possessed by devils and people don't know and it's just like just a, such a an interesting way to develop that premise and it's just and it goes places that you would never expect this show to 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 go from the first couple of episodes like there's scenes in the show where like you see just like the police executing multiple people because they're accused of being demons and it's just, it's like it becomes that type of show the show where like it's a um, police military police state but also people are are just all suspicious of each other and it's it, it the worst possible vision of human beings it's 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 really really a good show that just goes further and further into its premise until the very end and it, it ends in just like a just beautiful ending that i won't spoil but it it's it's up there it's again one of my favorite directors making a tv show that's just really great <laughs> it does sound interesting like the whole everything about that premise and the idea does sound so like something i would maybe be interested yeah. in seeing um yeah yeah do you want to move on to stuff you've watched yeah sure i have a another one that i watched a while ago it seems like um uh, and it is uh under the silver lake uh, which didn't really oh. come out. Uh, <laughs> it sort of just like <laughs> went away, um, evaporated. <laughs> um, but it was a it was gonna be a big deal, and everybody sort of. Uh, I feel like everybody who sort of knows film and knows movies sort of had a an expectation for this one uh, to be kind of a big deal. But it sort of yeah just sort of wasn't. Um, so it was on Amazon here, and I just I said, well, I'm going to check this out. And then I saw that it was three hours, and I was like, okay, well, this is interesting. Let's see what the director of It Follows does for three hours with this premise. Um, and for those who don't know, the, the idea of this movie is uh, Andrew Garfield is a man in the neighborhood of Silver Lake, um, and this girl who's one of his neighbors who he kind of is spying on lightly although he kind of does it to all of his neighbors um after they have a conversation and he really likes her after that first conversation she goes kind of missing um and he just really wants to know why and uh, where she is um yeah just to sort of i guess talk to her again um and it's a and it's a movie that i feel like it was sold is a very straightforward mystery, um, sort of in the detective noir style, um, but it it goes some odd places. Um, some I, I will say Lynchian places. Um, yeah, 
yeah, definitely Lynchian. Because um, it's just, it's blending surrealism um, and reality um, in in some just very disturbing ways. Um, and there's also this sort of meta aspect to the film. Uh, the fact that Andrew Garfield's character in the movie, his best friend is uh, uh, Topher Grace, um, who uh, previously... Uh, was in a film that you and I talked about very recently uh, 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 called Spider-Man 3. Um, <laughs> and the fact that the, both of them were in Spider-Man movies that are not well-liked, um, there's something there. Um, <laughs> and also, like, throughout the movie, uh, Andrew Garfield is holding a Spider-Man comic book um, for no real reason. He's just holding a comic book. Um, and he's like holding it almost next to his face um but he like he looks at a comic book and then at one point he has a he has a car that's like getting trashed and then he runs outside and beats up some kids um who are trashing his car but like really brutally like (laughs) he messes up a 12 year old um violently and it's like yeah this is the kind of movie we're making now just a real real weird meta uh, comment on consumerism and Hollywood in general and the way Hollywood sort of screws people up. Um, but people kind of love it for that. Um, yeah. And just that whole town. And it, I feel like it's a good movie to bring up because we're sort of the, uh, a running theme, um, for this episode, I guess. Um, and it's, it's got all these sort of ideas that it's playing with, um, ideas about, uh, you know, how the world works and about how media is sort of used to manipulate people. Um, but it's never doing the sort of obvious version of that, um, until it's doing it very obviously, but it's usually played off for a joke when it becomes too obvious. Uh, the commentary that the movie is trying to make. Um, and it, but it goes some places. There will be these moments of, you know, laugh out loud comedy followed by extreme violence. Um, <laughs> like some of the most violent imagery I've seen in a movie this year, um, which I did not expect from the director of It Follows, which granted is a movie that, there's some fucked up imagery in that movie, but it, I wouldn't say that it's overly violent or gory. Um, I would call that movie very restrained and uh, very patient. Um, so it was a, it was kind of su- kind of a surprise. But at the same time, there are these moments where he dips back into horror, um, like these dream sequences, or uh, a character known as the Owl Lady, um, who shows up periodically. Um, and it's just these moments where you say, well, yeah, that's the, it follows guy right there. He just, he popped out of a, a corner <laughs> and he's, uh, he's, uh, doing his thing. Um, yeah, very confusing movie, uh, to talk about and describe, but, uh, I think people should know that they can watch it and, uh, maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. I, uh, I don't know. Um, so yeah.
Uh, again, I always do better when somebody's asking me questions about the movie. Because, yeah, no, you, you yeah. said a few things that made me very, very excited to watch this movie, actually, because it's been on my list. It's on my Amazon queue. I, I've been thinking about watching it for a while uh, because I really like it. Falls, But like you, you said, like, Lynchian, you said comedy followed by violence. You said, like, a bunch of things that makes me, like, super curious yeah. about this film. Like, um, and how do you, how do you feel it about it like compared to it follows like not maybe which one is better but like it does it feel like it's from the same guy and does it feel like this is his next step yeah. or it, it does feel like it's from the same guy but it follows is very focused you know it, it, like it feels like it feels like it follows as a movie that was kicking around in this director's head for years like he had an idea for it follows probably when he was like 14 or something um this feels like a movie where he had an idea and it happened very fast and he it wasn't really focused and but there's a, just a lot of stuff around this idea a lot of stuff that wasn't really fully formed but it's very interesting it's never something that feels trite and it's never an idea that where you're like oh i've seen that a million times i've seen a hundred different movies you know explore that concept or explore that line of thought um it's it certainly reminds you of other movies that are sort of you know bringing these things up and uh, sort of uh you know uh, addressing these ideas that it sort of wants you to think about but it always sort of does this sort of last minute switch that really brings you into a different direction um and it builds a, like a lore. It builds a world that feels very distinct. Um, and I think that's where a lot of the Lynchian stuff comes from. Not just imagery, but like every David Lynch movie feels like it's in a different reality from our reality. It feels like the rules of every David Lynch movie are just completely different from our own. And this movie feels like the rules are not our rules. The way things work in this movie... Um, are not the same as ours, but it's based off of things that do exist. Uh, a, a running thing throughout the movie is this thing called the hobo code, I believe, um, which is essentially something that uh, homeless people use to sort of warn each other. You know, one sign on the side of a house says, don't go in there. One sign on the side of a house says, these people are nice. And another sign says, but they're also super religious. Um, and that's like a part of the movie. It's like part of the fabric of the lore of the film. Um, and it's just, yeah. Uh, and the characters are just also very, they're all fascinating, even if you don't like them. The main character is a huge, gigantic dick. He's just not a great guy. Um, but everything that he's doing is endlessly fascinating. Um, and you, you do want to go on the journey and like figure out what's going on along with him. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You, you convinced me to watch this. I mean, it's like, it's on the top of my list. Um, <laughs> I do think everybody should see it. Like yeah. it's, it's not for everybody, but if you see it, you're going to come out of it with things, things to say and, and to think about. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, some people really enjoy that. So, yeah. 
Um, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, let's see. Um, I, yeah, I think I have one more than we can sort of go out. Um, hmm. I have a little thing that I just kind of want to recommend that, that I don't feel like I have that much to talk about. It's the new, um, Paul Thomas Anderson short film that's on Netflix. Uh, that's like basically a music video for uh, Tom York. Tom York's uh, a song of his new album. It's mm. really intense and very good. It's like it's just a 15 minute thing, and it's just like visually stunning. And there's there's like a narrative, but it's also more about like mood and how it pairs the music with emotion with like the visuals, and it all fits very well. I, I highly recommend it. It's just 15 minutes, and it's. Uh, 15 minutes well spent. Sounds cool. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sounds interesting. Uh, I'm trying to think of this. Yeah. I don't think I have any, like I have a bunch of stuff that I've watched like very recently. So I don't really have one sort of thing to go to other than, um, I guess we can sort of revisit this. Uh, I actually did get around to seeing toy story four and, uh, yeah, oh. that movie, that was, that was that was emotionally affecting in ways I did I did not expect even with the warning, uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah like uh, if you're somebody who almost cried during Toy Story three or did cry during Toy Story three, um, uh, go to Toy Story four and have a very similar reaction because <laughs> yeah, it's it's heavy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, did you? Yeah. Do you agree with what I said last time about like it? Do you kind of see what I said? Like um, it not being as much based on nostalgia as three, like <sighs> feeling. Yeah, um, it's it felt like I'm trying to think of a way to phrase this. Uh, that three is very much about a time in your life. It's very yeah. much about a very specific time in a lot of people's lives. This movie felt much more generalized, but it was still talking about um, something that is kind of universal. Where, as a person, you find yourself in the place where the thing that you've been doing forever just doesn't work, or just for you know five years, ten years, a year, but it's it's become your life, and that thing just doesn't fit anymore and you're sort of doing it because it's what you've always done um and that's what the character of woody is going through in this movie um and it was really fascinating to see that and it was it was interesting because the, the toy story characters they've always had internal lives and internal logics and things that are going on in their psyches um but i've never felt like i was woody I felt like I, I learned the same lessons as Woody with Woody or with Buzz. Um, but I was never sort of taking on those aspects and uh, uh, personalizing, I guess, pers personifying myself in the Toy Story toy characters. Um, there was more of a personification maybe with Andy um, or, you know, or some of the other human characters. Or just, you know, as a kid, you sort of put yourself in the movie. You see it as, well, I am there. I am watching this as it, as it goes on. Um, 
but this movie does something very different. It's it's almost like a it's both a rejection of um, the idea that you should always be the same, that life should never move on or change. Um, but at the same time, it's a rejection of the idea that you can't remember your past or that you should just like throw everything away. That it's, it's a bad idea to sort of uh, uh, hold on to things that you loved. It's, it's, it's sort of like, yeah, you can still have a connection to those things, but you still need to be able to evolve at the same time. Um, and I think that it does a very good job of handling those ideas and giving them to the audience in a way that is effective, but also extremely entertaining. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also breaking tropes from other Toy Story movies. I'm not going to spoil what they do with sort of the the main antagonist, I guess. But the main antagonist in this movie is not uh, Buzzo the Bear or Stinky Pete. Uh, they do something very different. Um which surprised me and it made me extremely happy because not everybody who you think is bad is actually bad. Sometimes they're just a little bit misunderstood. Um, and that's another thing that I think is, it's a worthy thing to say and to put out there. And I'm, yeah. So anyways, <laughs> that was a lot about oh, no, you, before. Um yeah. It was yeah, interesting to hear the, your your thoughts on it. Um, do you want to wrap up? Yeah. Uh, do we want to do plugs? Yes. Uh, uh, minor quick, just follow me on Twitter. I'm at Isayer. Um That's it. Um, <laughs> I'm on the Phantom Zone podcast. Uh, whenever those episodes come out, whenever we do them. Um, yeah. So go listen to that. Uh, Nash will have stuff. Huh? Are you going to do an episode about like the 12 projects they announced for uh, phase four or. Yeah, we're going to do like an after dark soon. Um, so yeah, look forward to that. Um, and more, more discussion of Legion, but Phase four, that dropped, and it was it was too much for us to ignore it. So we will we will be addressing it soon because, wow. <laughs> hey, and uh, I asked that entirely as a listener. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if you want to be on, you know, just uh, I, I know the hosts, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so that's uh, that's. That's my plugs, I believe. Um, see y'all around. Bye. Back on this. <laughs>